Welcome to the Two Journeys Bible Study Podcast. This podcast is just one of the many resources available to you for free from Two Journeys Ministry. If you're interested in learning more, just head over to twojourneys.org. Now on to today's episode. This is episode 50, the final episode in our Acts Bible Study Podcast. This episode is entitled, Paul's Ministry in Rome Under Guard, where we'll discuss Acts chapter 28, verses 17 through 31. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses that we're looking at today? You know, what we're going to see is the end of the book of Acts, and we're going to see the culmination of the delivery of the gospel to the Jewish people of Rome. Now, it is interesting that we don't get the consummation of Paul's mission to the Gentiles— which is his proclamation of the gospel to Caesar. Hmm. Uh, we get a clear indication of that in 2 Timothy 4 when he makes his defense before Caesar. Here, it's yet to come. So we're kind of, it's almost like a, uh, we're, we're in mid-story here and we never get the rest of the story. So he's in Rome and the ministry here is to Jews and the Jews, as always, end up divided. Hmm. And so we're going to see uh, Paul faithfully delivering the gospel, the kingdom of God, with Jesus as the focus, the fulfillment of prophecy from the law of Moses and from the prophets, and the Jews, some of them believing, but many not believing, and the Jews being divided. And then the warning from Isaiah 6, which is given, I think, six times in the New Testament um, about being ever hearing but never understanding. And so in, in a way, it's it's somewhat of a downer. Um, you know, you would like Paul to deliver uh, the gospel to the Jews and have the Jews turn and believe, but we know that that's not going to happen until the end of the world. And so as Romans 11 makes it clear, it is coming. It just hasn't come yet. So we still get that remnant being saved, and that's encouraging. But still, that's how the book of Acts ends. Well, let me go ahead and read Acts chapter 28, verse 17 through the end of this book. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, 
proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What is Paul's immediate concern as he arrives in Rome? What does he claim in verses 17 through 18? Okay, so uh, he makes this very, very plain in, in uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And so that is his pattern, his strategy all the time. Whenever he, he had freedom, which he doesn't have freedom here, but this is his own version of it, to go, to go to the Jews first. He wants to go to his own people. And Romans 9 makes it very, very plain. Why? He has a tremendous heart of compassion for the lost among his people. He has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart's heart for them. And he yearns for them to repent and believe. He's, he's yearning as Jesus weeping over Jerusalem in its unbelief, you know, where Jesus said, if only you had recognized the time of God coming to you, namely in me. Mm. Um, and so Jesus wept over them. And Paul has his own tears that he sheds for the Jews. But tears aside, uh, just strategically, when he would go to a city, he would go to the Jews first. Well, he can't go to them. So he, he sends for them and they come to him. And so uh, I think it's providential that they're willing to come. They had heard somewhat about the the gospel. They had heard somewhat about Christ, but I they hadn't heard anything negative about Paul. So his reputation's a clean slate with them, uh, but he right away wants to begin uh, sharing the gospel with his people, and he'd like to see them come to faith in Christ. That's his desire. He also wants to establish his innocence. He would like to have some advocates there who can come alongside and say, look, this guy's done nothing wrong. What is Paul careful to clarify in the matter of his appeal to Caesar, and why is he concerned that the Jews know he wasn't there to bring any charges against those who falsely accused him? Yeah, so he says, look, I'm not trying to get our own people in trouble. He understands that the Jews are a persecuted and hated race, uh, subjugated too, and mm -hmm. some, and that, as we see plainly in the book of Ezekiel and other places, was a judgment of God on their wickedness and their idolatry. He gave them over to the Gentile overlords. So they were a subjugated people. Uh, they were not understood. They were hated generally and uh, reviled and mocked. And so the Jewish people in the Roman Empire, they don't need anyone causing trouble. Uh, you, you remember earlier in the book of Acts, the emperor Claudius had expelled all the Jews from Rome. So here is the Jewish community in Rome. Um, and so they're there uh, on a tenuous beachhead. You know, the next emperor could expel them again. Mm -hmm. He says, I want you to know I wasn't bringing any charge against my people. I'm not trying to cause trouble for us. But they had no charge against me. I hadn't done anything wrong worthy of death. So he wants to establish his own innocence, but he also doesn't want to cause trouble for the Jews. And so he's very clear with that about that with these Jewish leaders. In verse 20, Paul returns to a phrase he's used before when he says it's because of the hope of Israel that he's wearing this chain. What does Paul mean by it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain? Well, first and foremost, we'd have to say the Messiah, the son of David, um, the, the Savior uh, who would come. And so the Jews were waiting for the Savior who would come. Um, you, you think about, about uh, Simeon. Um, and that language is used of him. Uh, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You have all different ways of speaking about it. Uh, but ultimately, whatever Jesus came to bring and what he came to bring was salvation from sin. Sin is the problem. 
And so the hope of Israel ultimately is the Messiah who will bring salvation. Um, and Jesus greatly expanded what personal eschatology looked like, what individual salvation looked like, full forgiveness of sins, the resurrection from the dead. Um, a world to come, all of those things were developed in the new covenant by Jesus and the apostles. Um, but that's the hope of Israel. It's the Messiah and ultimately the kingdom of God and its full flourishing all over planet Earth. And Paul's also, I think, making clear here that though he is apparently a prisoner of Rome, he is ultimately a prisoner in service to Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What does the initial response of the Jewish leaders in Rome to Paul show about their attitude toward him and toward Christianity? All right, so first of all, the mechanism. We've not received any letters from the brothers in Judea, and so we have a lot of this kind of thing, and we see it. That's that's the the um, the the literary nature of the Jewish people. It comes from the written word of God. There are there are writing people, and the Romans were too. So there's lots of this kind of writing that goes on, and and the his, historical aspects. And this is the same thing with Paul's epistles. He wrote a lot of letters. Some of them were inspired by the Holy Spirit and collected into the New Testament. Others weren't. Um, but the idea here, the Jewish community leaders are saying, look, we haven't received any letters from the Jewish leaders in Judea about you. So we don't know about you. Um, we are just so used to a very small planet Earth with instantaneous knowledge of events that happen literally in real time. That's mm. our smartphones and the digital world we live in with satellites and all that kind of thing. They didn't have any such thing. They had letters. And so uh, watch out for this man, um, you know, Saul of Tarsus or whatever they would call him. He's has this physical appearance, uh, the, these mannerisms or this mark on his face, et cetera. Uh, he's a bad guy, um, et cetera. He said, look, we haven't gotten any of that. Actually, mm. I haven't heard anything. Mm. All right. But I tell you this, we have heard about the way, which is what they probably would have called it or about this sect, they call it, and, they, and people are speaking against it. So uh, Paul is set up almost in an adversarial sense, and he's got to mm. kind of win back the day from these Jews. Why do you think so many people were talking against this sect? Well, it happened in Jesus' lifetime. We have the very clear evidence of it in John chapter 9. You remember how the man born blind was healed, hauled up in front of the tribunal. They're grilling him. They bring in the parents, and the parents were afraid to say anything one way or the other. Ask him. He's of age. They said it because they were afraid because the Jews, Jewish leaders, had already decided that if anyone claimed that Jesus was the Messiah, they would be put out of the synagogue. Well, mm. that says it right there. Mm. There's the official ruling. This is even before he died. And his death was complete confirmation that they were right because he died under the curse of God. So there's zero chance in their mind that he was the son of David. Zero chance he's the Messiah. No way he's bringing in, you know, a worldwide Jewish kingdom of glory when he's dying on a tree. So he completely vindicated as far as they were concerned. Mm. And so uh, they had ruled against Jesus. And now along comes this sect in his name, a despised, condemned criminal. And they're saying he's not just the Messiah, not just the son of David, but the son of God. You can see why. Mm. If you don't believe, if you don't have a heart of faith, it's just like Isaiah said very plainly in Isaiah 53, 1, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? If God's arm isn't revealed to you, you will not believe this message. It's incredible 
It's literally incredible. It cannot be believed. And so that's why everyone was speaking against this sect. Also, it's just evidence of God's judgment on the Jews. He will judge them and condemn them through their unbelief. They, they are going to be condemned to hell if they don't repent of that. And the hardening of heart, similar to Pharaoh, like in Romans 9, um, is, is, it acts itself out or works its way out in their reaction to Jesus and the gospel. Mm. They will not believe. Mm. And so you see this also in John's gospel. You always see a division. Every time Jesus acts, people are divided. Some are saying, no one ever spoke like this man. Others like, no, he's possessed by the devil. So you see division all the time. And it's very sad, but that's what's going on. And in verse 22, we also get this sense that they're still measured in their response. For though this is spoken against everywhere, they are interested to hear Paul's views on these things. So they appoint a time for Paul to share with them what he believes. Yeah, and let me say something. This reminds me very much of Acts uh, 17 and Mars Hill, the Areopagus. It's like, let's bring him in and and hear him, Hmm. you know, and those were pagan philosophers. And it's the same kind of thing. All right, we'll give you a hearing. So you have an opportunity to give us what your views are, and Paul made the most of it. How long did Paul spend in persuading the Jews that Jesus was the Christ? And what scriptures do you think Paul used to persuade them? So all day long, from morning till uh-huh. evening. He's there for hours. Mm. Reminds me also of Eutychus that fell out of the upper room, you know, when Paul talks on and on and on. You know, there's a lot he could say. And, you know, anybody who has read the, the book of Romans and read through it carefully with a, with a knowledgeable mind uh, you understand, I can go in, Paul could say, I could go into great detail on these things. Let me explain what I just meant, you know, by the fact that everyone who was baptized into Christ Jesus was back, baptized into his death. What do you mean by that, Paul? Well, let me explain. How long would that take? You know, I mean, just hours, and that's Romans. Uh, Paul here isn't giving them Romans. Um, probably some of the, there's some overlap. But what he is doing is he's he's doing apologetics. He's, he's proving that Jesus is the Christ from the Old Testament scriptures. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, Moses wrote about me. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jesus started the that whole instruction of the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension to heaven. Mm-hmm. But even before that, he's already saying, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So there's that bronze serpent. The scapegoat, the the hands laid on the scapegoat, the uh, the confession of Israel's sins onto his head, and he's taken away. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist said they understood that language. The animal sacrificial system. God will provide a ram or the lamb, you know, and the the ram in the thicket. Abraham's uh, son Isaac. That I mean, it's like where do we even start? So you just walk through from. Maybe even from the serpent in the in the uh, in the garden, he will crush crush your head and you'll bruise his heel. Mm. Maybe he started there, mm. and just walking through all of the prophecies. Now, I, I've isolated in my own teaching ministry, I think five critical Old Testament prophecies of Jesus, the the best and the brightest of them. And so, what would they be? Um, I don't know what order we take it in. Um, maybe Isaiah seven: the virgin will be with child, the incarnate um, incarnation. But even even better, perhaps, is um, Psalm one ten: the Lord said to my Lord, "Sit at my right hand." David calls him Lord. How can he be his son? Jesus said. So, the fact that he's son of David, but greater than David, mm. um, the son of man vision, definitely in Daniel seven. You know, one like a son of man. Jesus basically handed that to the hate-filled high priest in his court 
at the critical moment when they're making a decision about him. It's like, read Daniel 7. So that's got to be the best. If Jesus hands them that one, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. Who is the Son of Man in Daniel 7? So um, I would say he definitely talked about the Son of Man. Um, then you got, you know, Isaiah 53, substitutionary atonement. There is no better teaching on substitutionary atonement in the entire Bible than Isaiah 53. Then you've got, um, of course, uh, uh, Psalm 16, the uh, resurrection, and how could I miss Psalm 22? They pierced my hands and my feet, the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. So I didn't do it in order. So birth, identity, identity, um, death on the cross, you know, reason for the death. So let's get it in order. Uh, Isaiah 7 is, is uh, the virgin will be with child. So Psalm 110 is David's greater son. And then uh, substitutionary atonement in Isaiah 53, the manner of his death pierced and lifted up. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, bodily resurrection from the dead. You'll not let your Holy One see decay. So that's Psalm 16. And then ultimate glory with the nations worshiping him, Daniel 7. So how about that? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and how long would it take to walk through oh, those goodness. in detail and explain them? Mm. You could easily see going through. But what else is there? You know, Jesus said, manna, the, the true bread from heaven is me. So, I mean, there's details all over the place. I mean, the more you look, the more you can find them. You know, uh, just there's just so so many evidences and so many little details. So I, I don't know what he went through. So mm. I would say all those big ones, but smaller ones as well. Andy, it really is powerful. You know, you've mentioned again and again Luke's attention to detail, and I couldn't help but think back to the end of the Gospel of mm -hmm. Luke, where we also hear that Jesus, uh, speaking to these disciples on the way, said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then again here, it just speaks of the law of Moses and the prophets. So mm -hmm. both Jesus and Paul are reaching back to what the Jews held dear, right, the scriptures, and saying all of these point to Jesus. Yeah, it's beautiful. How does verse 24, following right on the heels of this, sum up the ministry of both Jesus and Paul to the Jews? It's division. Some believe, some don't. You know, Paul says in Romans, uh, Romans 11, so too at the present time there's a remnant chosen by grace. And so the some that believed are the remnant chosen by grace. The rest are hardened, mm. Paul says, Romans 9 through 11. And so there's division. Do not think that I came to bring peace, Jesus said. I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now, in Paul's case, his own race. Mm. They're his enemies. They were Jews, and they hated him. Just like they hated Jesus, if they if they the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So it's division. It's division, and so fundamentally, we have to accept the twofold division of the entire human race: sheep and goats, wheat and weeds, good fish and bad fish, elect and reprobate. It's just biblically true, and we see it acted out so clearly in John's gospel, again and again, a division, a division, a division. Mm -hmm. Isaiah 6, which he's about to quote, and we'll walk through it, 
predict it, predict it. You're going to be hearing, but not understanding. You're going to be seeing, but not perceiving. It's going to be right there in front of you, and you're not going to believe it. So verse 24 just gives us a strong indication of the division among the Jews, and it's going to extend to the Gentiles too. The Gentiles will listen, Paul says, but they're not all going to believe. And so the, the Gentiles are divided into the same two categories, believers and unbelievers. You mentioned a moment ago that Isaiah 6, this passage here is quoted multiple times in the New Testament. Why does Paul quote it here in his final statement to the Jews? It really is a prophetic warning. Um, the prophets were God's messengers, God's mouthpieces, all right? Moses gave the law. The prophets were his prosecuting attorneys, his, his DAs to some degree. And they came in uh, pressing the words of the law and the penalties of the law. Mm. I mean, you look at the quintessential prophet because of the Mount of Transfiguration, you got to think it's Elijah. The quintessential prophet said, there will be neither rain nor dew except at my word. And then he walks away. Why did he do that? Well, because that was a covenant curse. Uh, the sky will be like bronze and the ground beneath you iron or opposite in, in the book of Deuteronomy. It's one of the curses. And so the, the prophets were God's spokesmen and they came and they pressed the claims of the law on the Jewish people. And the ultimate warning here is, um, you know, Isaiah is sent. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Here am I, send me. All right, well, here's your message. Go tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. So what is this ever hearing? Well, Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 3, everywhere that Moses is read, a veil goes over the hearts of the Jewish people and they don't see the glory of God in Christ. Just like there was a veil over Moses' face when he went up on the mountain, came down, or went into the tent of meeting and came out, and um, and his face was shining, and they were afraid they, the fading glory of the old covenant. And so the Jewish people, um, the unbelieving Jewish people, just cannot see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Mm. They don't see it. And so um, Isaiah six is the clear warning about that. Jesus quoted it in terms of why he spoke in parables. You know, the uh, it was an act of judgment that they were hearing but never understanding and seeing but never perceiving. And so I think we've marveled, haven't we? We've had Jewish friends, unbelieving Jewish friends. We think, oh, I'm going to read them Isaiah 53. That'll do it. I mean, how could they miss it? You read it and it's like, they don't see it. Hmm. They think it's Israel, though it makes no sense ex exegetically. For the transgressions of my people, he was crushed, Isaiah said. Who are his people? Jews. All right. Okay. Got that. So then who's the he that was crushed for the transgression of my people? Huh? <laughs> it just doesn't fit. But they're saying it's the Jewish nation because there's this hardness on them mm. and, and et cetera. So be ever hearing, but never understanding. Conversely, Jesus said, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Wes, if we see Christ in the text of scripture and we hear God speaking to us, the words of God through the scripture, then we're blessed. Mm. Yeah, and only by the grace of God can we do that. You think of the power of the Spirit to open the blind eyes so that we might see God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Mm. What's the significance of verse 28 in the ministry of Paul and the history of the church? Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He does do to the Jew first, but his ministry is to the Gentiles. And he says, they're going to listen. And, oh, wow, do they listen. 
I mean, there's a multitude greater than anyone could count from every tribe, language, people, and nation. The elect are going to listen. So in the end, the over, 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 overwhelming majority of sons and daughters of the living God will be Gentiles, as it should be, because that's the overwhelming majority of the population. Jews are very small in number, mm -hmm. significant, but small in number. And so I'm going to turn to the Gentiles, and they are going to listen, and they're going to listen famously. As I mentioned, you know, the, the gospel spiritually conquered the Roman Empire, so they're going to listen big time. And we've been listening ever since. Um, but again, it's the elect. The elect in every tribe um, crosses over from death to life. At the end of last episode, we looked at verse 16, and here again in verse 30, we get a sense of Paul's situation. What measure of freedom does Paul have in Rome, and why is he there for two years without having his case resolved by the emperor? Isn't this the second time we got this two-year span? Mm -hmm. I think it happened at the end of Felix's um, thing. I mean, 24. Um, so let's see. It's at the end of 24. Yeah, 24, 27. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Festus. Two years. Wow. That's a long time. Two more years. <laughs> but the Romans, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the wheels of justice are grinding very slowly. Very slowly. <laughs> so he's got two years. And this was a big chunk of his life. That's four years of waiting. Hmm. So he does have some freedom, but it, uh, some 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 privileges, but he doesn't have freedom. He's got to stay there in that rented house. So he's it's his own rented house. So he's got some... some um, um, solitude, chance to think. Maybe he did some writing there, some things that, are, that benefit us. We don't really know. Mm. Um, but he also has the ability to welcome guests. And it's important that, that the guests know that Paul is seen to be honored by the Romans. So there's no fear of coming to visit him. Mm. And so boldly and without hindrance, he's able to preach the gospel to yeah. everyone that comes. And so he's like a kind of a you know, a gospel uh, preaching point and people come to, you know, it's a, it's a come and see thing. You know, I know we're told in, with, in the church, we need to go and tell, but Paul couldn't go anywhere. So God brought him mm. and uh, boldly it says, and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God. Yeah, it's amazing as well as you reflect on how slowly the wheels of Roman justice are turning. You almost get this sense that Rome thinks very highly of itself and doesn't seem to be bothered by this man or this sect. But again, to think of the impact that the gospel will have throughout the empire in the years to come is a powerful testimony to the power of the gospel mm -hmm. advancing even in spite of all the plans and plots of wicked kings and kingdoms. Yeah. How does Acts end, and what do you make of this ending mm -hmm. as we conclude our time in this great book? Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, which is, there's synonyms to me, kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus is the king of the kingdom of heaven. And the idea of boldly and without hindrance takes me back to the theme verse of the entire book. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, Jesus said in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is a consummation of that theme verse. And we know that the story continues. Paul hasn't, as I mentioned, even had his trial before Caesar. It's the reason he's there in Rome. Book ends before we get it. Mm. So I think that's intentional by the Holy Spirit. Of course it is intentional. Uh, to tell us there's more, more story to unfold. Um, there's Acts 29 and 30 and 31 and, and on. It's been 20 centuries of church history. That's why I love church history. That's why I studied it, mm. because the gospel continued to move out. And uh, so what do I take away from this? I am part of that story, Wes. So are you. So is every Christian. We are 
messengers to our own generation. Paul could not reach them. He had died and gone to heaven. So the people alive on planet Earth today are the responsibility of Christians alive on planet Earth today. And the exact same Holy Spirit is at work. We can receive the exact same power the Spirit gave, and we should be bold and without hindrance in our proclamation of the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This has been the final episode in our Acts Bible Study Podcast. We want to invite you to join us next time as we embark on a journey through Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys Podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification, and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.